week on the Reflex Blue Show, Ben Luters goes to Design Camp and brings us an interview with Paula Share. Welcome to the Reflex Blue Show. I am usually your co-host, Ben Luters, but today I'm your host because Donovan just had a baby, so I'm filling in for him. And today I'm pleased to announce that we have Paula Share on the show. Um, we've had a lot of great people on the show in the past, but she's one that we've always wanted to have, and it's just exciting that we um, are talking with her today. Paula, as many of you may be familiar with, and maybe some of you aren't familiar with, She's an amazing designer for many years and uh, created such things as the Citibank logo. I like to think of her as the one that made the Boston (laughs) record cover. We have the record in our office, listen to it all the time. We spin vinyl. So, Paula, thanks for being on the Reflex Blue Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. What, What pieces of your work do you like to be best known for? Oh, I don't like to be known so much for individual pieces as as for individual approaches. Um, the work I'm most proud of is probably my work for the public theater over 18 years, which is a New York City institution. It may not be nationally known, but it's probably my best body of work for one client. Um, I do lots of identity work, uh, which I'll show tomorrow. And... I think if you were going to think of me, it's really more about how much I change over the period of time that I've worked. Mm. Well, today, Paula, I want to kind of ask a few different kinds of questions. The first question that I have has to do with how you came to be who you are today, and it deals with your childhood. So what was your biggest design influence as a child, and did you have it? Rebellion. Rebellion, explain. I grew up um, in a house that looked like every other house on the block. And when we first moved into the neighborhood, I was riding my bike, and I hadn't learned my address yet. And I didn't know which house was my house to go home to because they all looked the same. And I really began hating uniformity. And I didn't understand why things had to be designed in that manner. I thought that things could be more individualistic, and I wanted to make them like that. That's a great answer. I didn't, I didn't really know where people would go with that one. Um, what about, you know, just like any designer, I'm, you're not just any designer, but we all run into moments where we run out of inspiration, where we kind of feel stumped, that we feel we don't feel creative. So I'm wondering, what do you do, or what kind of things inspire you to help get you out of like a rut or something? I live in New York City, and that's a really inspiring place. You can't walk down a block of the street without without seeing something that, that provokes you in some way. Some of it makes you angry, some of it's inspiring. Uh, there's media everywhere. You're bombarded by it. Uh, there are films and plays and fashion and things going on that are hilarious. I think it would be very hard for me to live in a rural area because I'm not often inspired by nature. Though recently I was in Hong Kong and saw a lot of Chinese designers show their inspirations from nature, and I imagine I could rethink that too. I think. I think feeling inspired is really about seeing and that you have to get outside yourself and look at things with fresh eyes and see things within them that 
give you a new way of looking at the world. So when you're designing, do you generally just stay in New York or do you go other places to get new inspiration all the time? Well, I travel all over the world all the time. Um, And I don't do it for inspiration. I do it because I'm working. Uh, so, right. so that my work leads me, leads me to that. But I find that when I'm confronted with other cultures or confronted with things that sometimes seem ugly to me or that I don't understand, that's where I begin to see a new way. And actually, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow anyway, about those things that lead me to do something new. I keep running into young designers that... They, you know, they get a job in the design industry, right? And it turns into a job. And, you know, maybe they're doing good work. Maybe they're enjoying it more than they would, like a job at Walmart or Home Depot or something like that. But they don't feel like they're living their dream. Like they're not doing what they were, you know, were supposed to do. And so I'm, I'm wondering, well, first of all, do you feel like you're doing that? Do you feel like you are doing what you want to be doing? And if so, how did you get there? Because I imagine you didn't start out doing exactly what it was that you wished you were always doing. Well, I was lucky. I mean, <laughs> that, that, you know, I started out in the music business. I, I was senior art director of CBS Records, and I was only 26 years old, and I didn't Did you even... start there? What was the step before that? How did you I, get there? I, you say you were lucky. But... I, I was lucky. I, when, I, when I started working, which was a very long time ago, because it was the 70s, the, the graphic design was not really an established profession. Sure. And there weren't many people trying to get those kinds of jobs, so I could get it in almost anywhere. I started out designing ads for records and then um, somebody, at, the art director at Atlantic Records noticed my ads and, and Atlantic Records the record covers and the ads were done in the same department so he hired me to do ads first but I got to do record covers there and I began designing record covers at Atlantic Records and they won awards I got something in the CA annual I think in 1974 and the art director of CBS Records saw it and he hired me back and I be, at that point I was about 26 years old and I was senior art director and I used to produce about 150 record covers a year for five or six years so by the time I was 30 or 32 I actually had a broad profession and I did some of my probably most engaged work because in that period I hated the international style and I pushed back against Helvetica and I worked with eclectic typography and it, 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 it made my reputation but I would say after that, when I left and I started my own business, I got work right away because I was well known. And I was sort of a hot, you know, I was a wunderkind. I was, I was hot. But I was lazy and I didn't, I, I screwed up about the next 10 years because I didn't really push myself because I would take those jobs that were easy and do what I had already done. And I didn't challenge myself to do what I hadn't done yet. And I didn't do that till much later. How did you get out of that 10 years? That was uh, difficult. I knew um, it's easy to be good in your 20s. It's harder to be good in your 30s. By the time you're 40, you're middle-aged. So that around the time I was in my late 30s, I knew I had to change. I had gotten the hot work for a period of time, but I was no longer hot. I was in my late 30s, and there were other 25-year-olds. I remember knowing Neville Brody when he was in his 20s and I was 35, and we were on the same speaking circuit together, and he was hot and I was dead. 
and I, I remember the feeling of that, and I knew that I would have to change, that I would have to reassess who I was, what I was doing, and find another way to look about, look, look and think at, about it. And um, I was fortunate because in in I had my own business called Copel and Cher in the 80s, and that it was successful initially, and it started leveling off around the time I was about to turn 40. And I think if I had stayed in that capacity, especially when I was a woman in that business virtually alone for a period of time, I don't think I would have gone anywhere, but I had an invitation right at the point I didn't know what I was going to do to join Pentagram, and that that gave me another ability to move up another level and to, to change the way I work and to rethink and learn how to design and how to think about clients and how to be a designer. And that at Pentagram, I did larger projects that enabled me to do a broader base of work. And then as I began doing those, the more practiced I became in them, the more expected they became. Because you're good at what you don't know how to do and once you know how to do it, you do what you already know how to do, so it's less interesting. So, so what I had to do was find those things where I was a neophyte and reinvent myself each time. And I've, I've been able to do it virtually every decade. So in my 50s, I became both an environmental designer, where I, didn't, I really didn't even know how to read an uh, architectural plan when I started doing environmental graphics and collaborating with architects, but I, I, it's not that difficult to learn. And that's what I've been doing, I think, probably my best work, both identity and environmental graphics for the past maybe 10 or 15 years. And I also began painting. And so, so the two really uh, balanced each other in a great way. And now I want to find the next thing. You know, like I have to find the thing I don't know how to do so I can make a fool of myself and do it really un unusually. Because when you don't know what you're doing, yeah. you really do your best work. That is such a, uh, a good piece of advice. I've got a question about discipline. I, I meet a lot of young designers uh, that have talent. You know, they've got great skill, but they don't have like the discipline. So I just want to know if, if that um, evokes any kind of stories in you know your formative years, or if do you have anything in general to say about discipline as as a designer? Well, you know, it's like, you know, 1% talent, 99% perspiration. I mean, the thing is that, that I had a teacher who said something really terrific to me a long time ago. He said that anybody who wants to do this thing can do it. You just have to really want to do it. Yeah. And that you make choices all the time. You make choices to work or be lazy. You make choices to spend your time making something or to spend your time doing something else. And that that's okay. I mean, any choice you make is fine, but you do make the choice. So that those people that really sort of push themselves forward have invested in making the thing in a way others haven't. I, I think that, that it doesn't take that much ability. It takes, takes that much desire. And that if you want to do it, you can. But you have to really want to do it. It's not a job. It's not like you're going to go do your job and go home. That's so how not do you what it's think about. about it? It's my life. It's your life. 
It's not, it's not, a, it's not, oh, I'm going to go in and punch my time clock and put in four hours and go home. I mean, you can't get good that way. That isn't how you develop your abilities. You develop your abilities because you're so emotionally invested in it. You can't help yourself. Were you always that way, or did, did you at different times view it as a job? You know, it's funny because I never thought I was going to be like this. The, the, I didn't start out this way. I, you know, I mean, I'm married to Seymour Quast. He was a famous illustrator. He worked all the time. He taught me how to work. And some of that was the, the nature of the relationship. And, and so I think that being with him impacted me. Now, the question is, and this is the thing I still don't know to this day after being married to him for 40 years, is that was I with, was I with him in, in that life because I wanted that life or did he push me into that life? And I really don't know the, don't know the answer to that. Oh, man. That'd be cool if you had the answer for that on the podcast. Well, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. honestly don't know because you don't, sometimes you don't know. But, but that's, that's who I became. Mm. And that's what, I, that's what I do. And I know that the people that I know that work at that level invest that kind of time and energy into it because that's what they do. Carl, I've got one last thing I want to hit you up on which is uh, balance in your life. Do you find that you, you can find time for rest, successfully balancing work, family, friends? No, community? I'm totally unbalanced and totally screwed up. <laughs> I wouldn't have advocated anybody to be me. That's the way I am. My life is totally unbalanced. I do not, I, I don't have any children, which is one of the great sorrows of my life. Um, I don't spend enough social time with my family and my friends. I spend too much time working. I have... Four years, I paint also, and and you know paint these maps, and that's a whole other lifestyle, and that's that's who I am, and I wouldn't say I'll be like me, but I am who I am, and that's what I did, hmm. and that that there is that trade-off, and that we make these personal decisions in our lives, and that that people who do things that we we may admire creatively spend an inordinate amount of time developing that. Mm. Frank Gehry didn't get to be Frank Gehry because he was going to work. Sure. You know, it's, it, it, is not, it is not a job, it's a way of life, and that, that you make that, that thing front and center. And I don't advocate that anybody else do it unless they want it. Right. Paula, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. And if I could have you do one last thing. Uh, Donovan told me that uh, if I could get you to sign this book, I could keep it. So <laughs> would you mind? I'd be delighted, if, if, whatever it is. <laughs> oh, my God, there it is. If the hardcover version. Great. <laughs> if you could sign this somewhere, I don't care. <laughs> thank you. I would really appreciate that, Paula. I'd be glad to do it. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The Reflex Blue Show. For more information, visit 36point.com. The Reflex Blue Show was created by Donovan Beery and Nate Voss. Music by Ben Luters.